0: Over the course of the past couple of weeks, we have begun looking at that prayer that we have always heard of as the Lord's Prayer. Really, it should be the disciples' prayer. It was a model prayer that the Lord gave for those who wanted to learn to pray. Let me ask you a question. Did you pray, did you make time to earnestly pray this week? I hope so. We make time for a lot of things. Just not always sure prayer is one of those things. I'm not talking about merely over a meal. I'm not talking about just in a moment when things aren't going necessarily right. I mean time to check in with heaven, time to share our heart with God. But Jesus' disciples recognized that Jesus was always doing this and it was very important to him. He would slip off. Before the sun came up and to pray. And so they began to ask him for some instructions about how to pray. Well, this morning, we continue this hard look at what Jesus taught them. Um, the Lord's Prayer, let me, let me remind you, is a teaching model. It is not, should not be the sum total of your prayer life. The Lord's Prayer is a model prayer, it gives us all of the ingredients that the Lord would. Uh, instruct us are appropriate to put in, but the prayer itself is not, should not constitute the sum total of our prayer life. How can we take our request and let our request be made known to God if all we're praying is the Lord's prayer? Does that make sense to y'all? It is a model. It is not, it is not put there as the, the way to do it every time. So, I want you to be aware that it isn't just simply the fact of uh, of bowing your head or speaking out loud or even just just speaking in your heart. That's not what makes it a prayer. So let me go back over this one more time, the definition that I want you to to begin to incorporate. It is an humble you entering the throne room of heaven to present you before God the Father through your mediator, his son, amplified by his Holy Spirit. Someone asked me, I said, Preacher, what do you mean by amplified by the Holy Spirit? Well, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 26, we're told that the Spirit prays with groans and utterings that cannot be understood. He speaks on our behalf. He, he speaks to make our prayers presentable. The last part, it makes your position, your petition presentable before the King of Kings. Our first week... We looked at our Father. See, our Father, the words our Father intimates our family connection. He's our Father. We're in this together. But he's our Father, and it identifies the one to whom we pray. Our Father in heaven indicates that there is is supreme authority here. He has superior perspective. He sees the big picture. He has a superior plan, and his plan is for sin, to be eradicated, and for Jesus to reign. I, I go, I'm going I'm to drop a bug in here because this is one of those things that kind of came to me as I'm going through this this week. If, do y'all, y'all believe that, if, that, that, that it is God's plan that sin be eradicated? Yes or no? Y'all, yes or no? So how much of your regular practice gets dusted when that happens? How much of your regular life, your regular life's practice gets trashed? When God eradicates sin. We need to stop and think about what we're saying. When we talk about God eradicating sin. We're, we're great with God taking care of everybody else's sin. Just you know. I, I reserve this little part for me. Um, anyway. Then he says hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Now. I, as I shared with you last week. That word hallowed is uh, is an English term that literally identifies something that is to be set aside for special purpose or to hold a special and unique place in the life. It's set apart, worthy of honor, and separated from any profane things, including any awful thoughts that my human mind may entertain. Well, this morning, we're going to finish this first section. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not. You Bible scholars, if you want to, uh, go ahead and mark just above verse 9 and put you another mark below verse 10 because everything between those, everything in verse 9 and verse 10, all of those things are focused on God. And we're going we're to address verse 10 this morning. In 1939, a man by the name of Albert Malote wrote the first of two mute movie scores for short subjects that won an Academy Award. In 1939, he won it for the Disney, the, the Disney short called Ferdinand and the Bull. Anybody ever seen Ferdinand and the Bull? Yep. And then in 1940, he won for the Disney short called The Ugly Duckling. Anybody ever seen that? Yep. Well, let me tell you what you don't know about Albert Malote. His most famous composition never appeared in a Disney movie, but you all know it. You all know it very, very well. In 1935, a full four years before he wrote the movie score to Ferdinand and the Bull, he put music to what we call the Lord's Prayer. Many of you have attended weddings. You have attended funerals. You have attended a lot of different places where the Lord's Prayer has been sung. And there's a very good chance that you sang the arrangement written by Albert Malote. Now let me tell you a little secret. In the Old Testament, when Jesus would have gone into the synagogue to read from Scripture, the reading was done in what's called an intonation. He didn't just simply get up there like we would and read our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom. He didn't just read the words. In Hebrew, there was a pointer used by the reader to mark his place as he read through the passage, and it would be intoned or sang, sung. It would have a melodic melody to it. And in the spirit of that, I'm going to invite you to stand with me one last time. And we're going to sing our text this morning to Albert Malot's composition. (laughs) Our Father. You all sing it with me. Break it into parts if you know how.
1: Which art in heaven. Thy kingdom come.
0: Father, may you bless and add to the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In the King James, we get the word thy put in there for your. It is a Middle English word. It doesn't bear any greater entrance into the kingdom of God to say thy than your. And yet in the day in which we live, I have chosen to use the New King James Version as opposed to the King James Version for sake of preaching, maintaining the the character and the lilt of the King James and the the meaningfulness and the structure of much of the verse, uh, but um, just simply missing some of the antiquated language, the antiquated words. I said that to say, from here on, I'm going to use the King James reference as thy. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And it's just, it's wonderful that it, it flows so easily. And it's easy to remember because of the tune that Albert Malotte put to it. it. It rings very clearly in our ear, amen? Yep. Well, he says, Thy kingdom come. And I want to tell you this morning that Thy kingdom come should be the beat of every one of our hearts. The fact of the matter is, the ills of our world, the things that are going wrong, are every bit because men have chosen to build their own kingdom instead of building God's kingdom. All of the problems we've got going on with people being abused and mistreated and some feeling that justice has not been theirs, all of that hinges around the idea that we have been building our own kingdoms instead of God's. Now I need you to understand there are multiple ways that scholars have portrayed what Jesus said. Now the interesting thing about this particular phrase is this. I don't know of anywhere that Jesus came back and clarified exactly what he meant. I know that there are places in time where there are things that kind of come similarly. They come close in phraseology but Jesus never really explained exactly what he meant. So this morning, I want to take just a, I want to take the broad spectrum of the things that have been shared in writing and in conversation. You see, in the person of Christ, the kingdom was coming. While he was praying, his presence were the opening salvo to the kingdom of God coming the son of God was born in flesh of a human mother he was the son of a carpenter he was a real man he was a teacher of priests in the temple even as a child and he was a miracle worker turning water into wine now how does that happen unless God is in the middle of it the f- he was the friend of society's outcasts even sitting to dinner with them think about that for a moment Prostitutes and publicans, tax collectors and every other low life you can think of were never turned away when they approached Jesus. Even one brought and thrown at his feet and others commanding that the law be fully executed in this moment Jesus retorted, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Y'all remember that? Yep. He made enemies among the professional clergy. Imagine that! He made the preachers' conference mad. He made the association ticked off. Why? Because he was preaching and teaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Remember that. That repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He did. He, he called them to repentance. He healed the sick. The lame, the blind, and those who couldn't speak. He raised the dead in private and in public. He he was arrested, tried, and convicted of nothing illegal. Sentenced to death, but not before being abused while in the custody of the police. Imagine that. Publicly humiliated. He was brutalized and executed long and slow. Do you understand that that baby born in Bethlehem was God with us, Emmanuel? Do you understand that the kingdom of God was peaking above the horizon of sin? And that all of men were going to be called to the Son. This is not what anyone would have had in mind for the coming kingdom of God. His Son being abused and murdered. Well, there are others who say, well, it was on the day of Pentecost that, that his kingdom came and that we don't, need to, we don't even need to use this phraseology anymore because the kingdom came with power on the day of Pentecost. I would tell you that to a degree that is correct. The kingdom, the church was born on the day of Pentecost. We hear a bunch of guys getting together in a hideaway prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit of God falling upon them. And the next thing you know, the prayer meeting is spilling into the streets. I would to God that prayer meetings were spilling into the streets. We pray in private. We speak to brethren in private. We don't reveal our thoughts about things that are spiritual for fear of someone criticizing us. Uneducated country boys stepped out into the streets and spoke languages they'd never studied. The coward of the courtyard, old Peter himself, is the one who went down in the record book as having preached that fr- I, 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 They all preached the first sermon. Peter's is the only one that got written down. Y'all tracking? The coward of the courtyard becomes the voice of the fledgling church. 3,000 people that day said, If you can't keep it in an upper room, it spills into the street. It's all in my heart. I want to follow the Lord Jesus with all I've got. And they walked down to the oat, those, those holes in the ground where the worshipers at the temple would take that ceremonial walk down into the water where they would, they would cleanse themselves before presenting themselves at the temple. Oh no! They went down to that same, those same holes in the ground, those same pr- primitive baptistries, and they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God for sinners slain. They wasn't nothing private about that. They absolutely, com- they confessed before the entire Israeli nation. Everybody was in Pente- Was in Jerusalem on Pentecost. It was the party celebration. See, I need you to understand from a Jewish perspective, Passover is mourning. Passover is a time of, of great introspection and and, and, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a time of mourning and a time of thinking about God's deliverance through the, 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 the death angel that passed over. Pentecost is celebration. It's a celebration of 50 days beyond when they receive the law of God. It's, it's dancing in the streets and and lots of food and lots of activity. It's, it's the opposite of mourning and, and, and being, being sad and introspective. It's celebration. Look what God has done. And so in this point in time with all these people gathered in there, the Holy Spirit of God fell on these men. And they began to preach. Can you have an amen? Isn't that good? You know God didn't do this in a corner. Out of anybody's notice. He did it in the streets on a day when town was packed. Hotels were filled to the brim. Couldn't get a seat at a good place to eat because there was so much excitement in the city. Imagine if God were to do that on a Tennessee, Alabama weekend. Can I have an amen? amen? Amen. For some denominations, this is still their focus. They even use the phrase in describing who they are. They say we are Pentecostal. Their focus is on the events of that day, and they see that and and, and focus on the the things that they interpret as the the way that God reveals His power. I'm going to tell you all something. God uses His power to save men from their sin. He uses the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, to call them to Himself and to quit playing games. Can I have an amen? Amen. You don't... I understand the desire to want to see God do something great. I understand the yearning in the heart to want to go and to, on a regular basis see something that I feel like represents the, the outpouring of the Spirit of God. I'd like to see that, wouldn't you? I'm just not going to limit it to a few things as some of our Pentecostal brethren do. Because you see, I know that when God begins to pour out His Spirit, all bets are off. There are no breaks. It's all or nothing. And it's going to pour out like you'd never dream. I'm reading about revival and my spirit is cooking. I shared with Barry Hodges a week or two ago. I said, this is just cooking my grits. Y'all know what cooking grits are? You know, when they get down and they start to get thick and they're, they're bubbling and popping on the top and sending little splatters everywhere, y'all are fixing to get splattered. Y'all Ready? Outside of a Scottish town called Cambuslang, with a little pastor who couldn't preach his way out of a wet paper bag by the name of McCulloch, the Spirit of God began to fall. And young men were being saved in the fields while they worked, overcome with the Spirit of God falling on their face, wailing out loud such that others thought they were in physical distress, thought that they had maybe injured themselves, wounded themselves, or be in some other kind of of need of of physical attention. It was not a physical attention at all. It was the attention of the Holy Spirit convicting their hearts and telling them, you need to get right with God. And right beside haystacks, these guys were falling on their knees, making making their their altar in the open air beside, of all things, a haystack. And asking God to save them. And in such great earnestness, begging God to save them. That others thought that they were, they were having some kind of a physical problem. By the way, I love this, I love this part. I, I can't help it. This is just... Let me tell you how good this preacher was. Y'all ready? It was said of him by members of his town. How many of y'all know what ale is? You may know what ale is? A-L-E? We would call it Beer. Roughly beer, okay? They called him the ale pastor. (gasps) That pastor was drinking. No, 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 no. no. They said he was so boring that as soon as he got to the pulpit to preach, all the men would find an excuse to go out of the building. They'd go get a beer and wait till he got done because he was dry as toast. They called him the ale pastor. Isn't that something? Yeah. Well, I want to ask you a question. How in the world... Does a pastor, so boring that people would rather drink than listen, how in the world does the Spirit of God fall on that church and in that town? I'll tell you how. Because there were very few people who decided that they were going to call on God to save their town. And they began to pray. Now, I'm going to share something with you that may strike home. I don't mean, I don't mean to be, be ugly, but I need you to think about something for a moment. Some of the unanswered prayers in our lives, some of those prayers that made us doubt God's power, some of those prayers that we, we just begged God for and God d- didn't seem to answer, have they caused you to doubt Him? Have they caused you to doubt that He hears you when you pray? Is it entirely possible that some of the trivial things we pray about? We need to grow up past. And instead of trying to pad our kingdom here. We need to build the kingdom within us. Is that possible? See, I want you to know the third place that I think of in the kingdom of God is within you. Satan had set up a kingdom that had absorbed you. You were born into it. Sin reigned and rules. And to this day, everyone in this place still sins. Saved or not, you're still sinning. You don't mean to. Most of the time. Earlier, I mentioned this. I said, you know, I, I pray that we don't stick our finger in God's eye. Let me be really clear. You know what John says about that in the book of 1 John? If you're one of those who would just do whatever you want to do, even if it was akin to sticking like your finger in God's eye, it's that willful, intentional sin, I'm going to do it anyway, regardless of what anybody else says or what God thinks. You do that, he says, you're not saved. That's what he said. That wasn't. That, that's not some high, high power evangelist who's going to stand and give 14 courses at the invitation time. That's John, the one who knew Jesus. When he says that if we confess our sin, Jesus is just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he's not talking about those I'm going to stick my finger in God's eye kind of things. He's talking about those sins that just happen because we're human. Y'all tracking? I need to say this very, very clearly. The kingdom of God is being built within you. And if the kingdom of God is being built within you, there's no room for the kingdom of Satan to continue its expansion program. You came to the Lord. There was a moment in time when you knew that you were a sinner and that you needed Jesus with all your heart. You may have come to an old-fashioned altar. You may have knelt beside a bed or prayed with a preacher. You may have prayed with a mom or dad or friend or whomever. And in that moment, realizing that you're a sinner, you gave your heart and your life to Jesus. Well, I want you to know at that point in time, evil was evicted from the territory of your life. And that the, the kingdom of God took you as new territory. You were annexed, bought with a price into the kingdom of heaven. And you became a subject of the Most High. And you've been freed from the dictatorship of sin. We hear a lot about dictatorships. We hear a lot about people running, running roughshod over people and mistreating people. God never has done that to anybody. But I'm afraid in our abuse of the kingdom of God, we might have just done it from our perspective toward Him. You were granted forgiveness. You were given new purpose. You gained a new family and an inheritance. You're promised that this life is but the beginning and that it will never, ever end. You live out this life in this flesh, not by yourself. You've got a helper. The Spirit of God walks with you. And on, on a personal level, the kingdom of God has already come to each and every one of us. Amen? <coughs> when the Father gives the order... The trumpet's going to sound and that final movement of this heavenly symphony is going to begin. The kingdom will fully come with the coronation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I need you to understand when Jesus bowed and he said, Thy kingdom come. He was referencing a whole lot. But I don't think there's any way, if if you don't take either of the other two, As being valid. I don't think there's any way you can deny that in Jesus praying, Thy kingdom come, that the throne room scene in the book of Revelation wouldn't come to mind. When God sits on the throne and He proclaims His Son, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and the angels begin to sing, and the trumpets are blasting, and we're singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lamb. God's kingdom is going to be completed. And if you're a child of God, you will be a a part of that. Christ is going to call us to take our place in that heavenly kingdom. The church is going to take her place at his side. The conquering king is then going to return to settle all final accounts with evil men. The king of kings is once and for all going to deal with sin. Satan's power is going to be stripped away. He and all who follow him are going to go to hell to stay. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Son, the kingdom of peace, the kingdom of the everlasting family of God is but a heartbeat and a trumpet blast away. Do you look forward to Jesus coming? Understanding that this moment is coming, then I have to say, may God's will be done in me. Thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth. Guys, the song has done that phrase a great disservice. Because this is how we sing it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We kind of throw that out on the end. No, 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 no. No, the whole clause is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It all fits together. It means something. You think God, God's will is accomplished in heaven, yes or no? Do you believe God's will is accomplished in heaven? Do you believe God's will is accomplished here? Some would say no, some would say yes. I'm going to tell you, I believe God's will is accomplished. But I believe that there is a, port, a part of cooperation that needs to happen on the part of God's people with heaven itself. I'm not saying we have to work for our salvation. But I'm saying that once one is saved, it causes one to work in the kingdom work. Once one comes to know Jesus, you walk with him and talk with him and tell him that I am his own and the joy that we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. Your your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is sovereign. He's in full control. And nothing catches my God unprepared. Did you all know that? He, by the way, some of y'all are worried to death about war. You're worried to death about the Soviet Union. Worried to death about Syria. What's going to happen when the Soviet Union and Syria get together? Well, I can tell you what's going to happen. Because Israel's been the whipping boy of the Middle East for a long time. And they're going to turn their attention toward Israel. But don't you for a minute for that Because we've already been told about this in the book of Daniel. Did y'all know that? Do you know what happens? In that first battle described Not a shot's fired by Israel. Do you know how those armies are defeated? Oh, somebody please ask me how. The earth is going to belch and quake and fire and brimstone take out the invading armies. (laughs) It's like God says, my will be done. Uh Uh-uh. And everything in nature rebels and wipes them out. We're told that it's months. Literally, there are death squads. People who are looking for bodies to bury are going months. Looking for bodies to bury to get rid of the stench and the infection on the land. Don't fret. If Russia fires nukes tomorrow... Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That does not excuse me from doing what I am called to do. Because if his will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven, I can promise you that there are things, there are assignments given in heaven and they get carried out every single day. God's Sovereign will calls for my cooperation. Even the angels do his bidding without any hesitation. They guarded Eden because of man's sinful presence. They warn men of disaster. They lead men to safety. They kill when God says kill. Angels kill? Yeah, what do you think killed all the firstborn in Egypt? They communicate instruction and encouragement. They come out. They come to our aid when they're sent. <laughs> I love this one. They bring good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all men. Amen? Y'all recognized that one, didn't you? They deliver instructions. They delivered Peter from prison. They attend the Most High God, and they even bear up his throne. They protect him from sin's contaminating presence. By the way, let me tell you a little something, a little secret. We learned this on Wednesday night. If you're not coming on Wednesday night, you're missing some good teaching. Is it, here it is in a nutshell. Angels prevent sin from entering the presence of God. You can't take it there. You might get drugs into the United States of America or across any old border, but you ain't taking sin to heaven. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. There are angels who are there to protect God's holiness, and they worship him in word, in song, and in action. Do you? God's will on earth really should be our prayer. Our our Lord understood that God's will on earth is what was was missing. But our Lord also understood that for him, God's will on earth was going to be costly. He was obedient even to death. It was in prayer that our Lord affirmed his Father's will and expressed his ultimate submission to to it when he said, Father... If it's thy will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. See, I need you all to catch this. The Son of God left heaven because of the will of God. Was born of a woman because of the will of God. Lived a perfect life because of the will of God obeyed his father even to the place where wrongly accused, unjustly arrested, and abused. He wound up being taken to the place of scourging, had flesh ripped from his body, was marched out in humiliation, and then was asked again, before the people were asked again, behold the man, what are you going to do? And that wasn't good enough. Crucify! Crucify! And he knew it was God's will. And he who was shredded on my behalf took the cross on his shoulder and began to make the trek toward Calvary. Somewhere along the way he stumbled and fell and another bare his burden. But taken to the cross of Calvary, he's nailed to a tree for me. Living he loved me. Dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Oh, but the good part is rising. He justified freely forever, and one day he's coming. And what's the next words of that song, guys? Oh, glorious day! God's will on earth absolutely involves our obedience. One of the greatest struggles any man will ever face in making the decision to li- is making the decision to live for me or to live for thee. You know what I think. I think it depends on the day of the week and how bad we want something. Obedience may or may not make us wealthy or materially blessed like others. That's one of the sad parts. See, we want things. We want to live a certain way. We want to enjoy a certain lifestyle. We're very focused on our peers. And when they have something, I want something. But I need you all to understand something. Obedience to God means God has holiness, I want holiness. And I'm no longer looking to have just everything else everybody else has got because everybody else has got it. I want to know Christ. Obedience puts us in the position to live blamelessly before our peers. And let me tell you what the result of being able to live blamelessly. Y'all know what that means, right? The people around us really can't bring any just accusation against us when we live blamelessly. Paul addresses that. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and therefore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it's written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. And he did for you too. I want you to understand this morning very, very clearly. Whether we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, It's going to happen. Are y'all tracking with that? Now, you can either be in cooperation with it or you can be in opposition to it. So, what would your life say right now if we could run the film, the highlight reel of your life? In cooperation or in opposition to the will of God? This morning, the invitation is very, very simple. Some have some have become dulled in their walk with the Lord and have forgotten some things that you knew. For some, it's been a very long time since you really sensed God's powerful presence in your life. Well, I can tell you that the same God is just as powerful. What happens is we're the ones who begin to cool. So this morning, I'm I'm just going to ask you: Are you willing to let God begin again this morning to build His kingdom in you, preacher? I'm, I've been a Christian for a long. I don't matter, age don't matter, because God's not done building in you until you take your last breath, and only then are you, do you are you away from the building program and taken to your final reward. Maybe this morning you'd say, preacher. I, I started real good, but man, I just have forgotten that his will is going to be done whether I'm with him or without him. In a moment, we're going to begin to pray, and we're going to sing. And I'm going to invite you to resubmit your life to Jesus Christ, that his will can be accomplished in you. Father, this morning, I want to thank you for this text. I want to thank you for the song. I want to thank you, God, for everything you've granted us. But, Lord, I'm afraid this morning we would have to say that we've been, uh, we've been less than on fire. We've spent far too much time choosing the wrong way when it came to choosing obedience or disobedience. And because of it, our prayer life is cold. Our spiritual walk is cold. And it's been so long since we really experienced a move of the Holy Spirit in our life. Father, would you this morning reawaken that. Stoke the colds of obedience. Let us sense your hand upon us again. And this morning as we conclude, I join with my Lord and my Savior in praying thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. As we stand.